ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. This is the NT Country Hour on ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory. G'day there, my name's Matt Brand. Welcome to the program. Today we've got some breaking news about Northern Australia's Indian sandalwood industry. The company Quintus has announced it's giving all of its MIS projects the chop. The issue with the schemes is that the, there are just, there's just too much supply and the market hasn't been able to absorb the increases in supply that we've had over the last um, couple of years. Um, so that the, none of the schemes are viable and they should therefore all be, all be wound up. Yeah, so this impacts around 4,000 hectares of plantations, mostly in Kununurra, but also in the Northern Territory. I'll tell you all about this in just a moment. Before 1.30, I've also got a beautiful story for you about some work being done to improve the diets of those living in some Indigenous communities near Catherine. This is the Country Hour, a big show today. I hope you can stick around. First up, we're going to the Darwin Port, which is having a very busy December. Live cattle exports are breaking records and some iron ore has just arrived from near Pine Creek. I caught up with Peter Dummett this morning. He's the chief executive of Darwin Port. And he said 2023 has been a strong year for Darwin Port, but there's a lot of work happening in preparation for a range of new projects next year in 2024. Uh, Look, next year, uh, a lot of the work we've been doing, uh, companies like Northern Iron, we finalise agreements with them to move their magnetite out of uh, Tennant Creek, the the old Warrego tailings uh, deposit down there. Linecrest uh, finalising arrangements with them and uh, coincidentally we've got the first train bringing Linecrest ore from Francis Creek today coming into the port, Uh, the first train for probably two years, Uh, so that's exciting. Core Lithium, uh, they've got another shipment coming up before Christmas. Um, they're looking to, to uh, continue production into next year. Uh, so some of those um, bulk volumes uh, that are projected, uh, we're going to see us fairly busy next year. How frequent are lithium shipments these days? Uh, on average, about once a month. Oh. Um, the combination of the spodumene, which is their primary product and their fines product, um, we're going to move the spodumene out before Christmas and uh, then the fines towards the end of January. Okay, so just getting my head around resources, commodities that went out in 2023. Uh, look, um, it was limited to uh, magnetite, and that was the Pico Iron Project yep. uh, and the, the core lithium pro- products as well. So they were the only two products we moved. Uh, a little bit of um, ilmenite, but that was going out primarily in containers as well. And in 2024, we'll see... Um, we're expecting to see iron ore uh, which is the francis creek product uh, a ramp up of the pico magnetite uh, commencement of the northern iron magnetite and uh, hopefully towards the end of next year om manganese will be back online and we'll be producing as well from butu creek from butu creek what about phosphate Uh, look phosphate we're in discussions with them uh, around sample shipments uh, initially talking about smaller samples in containers, but potentially a, a bulk sample shipment. Uh, there's also a product called Magnesite, uh, which is down near uh, Bachelor. Um, they're talking about doing a sample shipment as well. What about uh, the live cattle trade? 
I'm, I'm here at the moment. I can't see a cattle ship, but it is a. It's been a, a busy month. But in terms of 2023, if Peter, what's it been like? 2023, it's it's been a, a an average year. When I say average year, we've sort of been on track for about 250,000 head, which is what we've done uh, for the last couple of years. Uh, if you come back about 5:30 this afternoon, you'll see a cattle ship, and that'll be the first of six that we're going to do between this afternoon and Christmas Day. So uh, uh, we are on track for what we believe is a record December uh, since we've been moving live cattle through the port. So what number potentially will go out in December? It's about f- a little bit of change out of 55,000 head uh, will go out in December. Um, wow. we've, we've done uh, about half of that already um, and uh, yeah, we're up for about another 24,500 between now and Christmas. That's a lot. In recent years, December's been more like th- uh, from memory, kind of between twenty-five and thirty-five thousand head, so it's it's a significant, a increase. significant increase. And and look, uh, we pulled some numbers yesterday, and um, you've got to go back to July twenty sixteen um, when we did about that fifty thousand head in a month. Wow, twenty sixteen. Yep, that is busy. Um, have you got a sense from exporters on what twenty twenty four could look like for cattle? The issue has always been, uh, or sort of more recently, has been the uh, the domestic price. What we're seeing is a bit of a softening in that, and um, that's yeah. The demand for places like Indonesia and Vietnam has always been strong, um, but if we're out of that price point, then they're looking elsewhere. So um, we're hoping that um, we'll get back to some of those halcyon days. Our record year was six hundred and fourteen thousand head back in fourteen fifteen. You go back three or four years, we were doing, on average, 400,000 head. So um be nice to, 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 to reach those numbers again. If you're tuning in, this is the Country Hour, and we're speaking to Peter Dummett, who's the Chief Executive of the Darwin Port. Uh, before we talk about a new project that will be popping up in 2024 for Darwin Port, can we talk about imports, what's coming into Darwin Port? What, what are the... The big industries. Look, historically, our, our largest imports are our fuels, um, bulk liquids into the, the VOPAC terminal. Um, but we've also had a, an increase in dry bulk imports, and that's primarily around cement, um, gypsum, uh, that sort of thing. And that's a bit of an indication of where uh, construction is at the moment. Um, we've done five times the amount of dry imports this year than we've done in previous years. Uh, so that's quite significant. Um, Beyond that, motor vehicles, uh, post-COVID, uh, there was long queues for, for motor vehicles um, as production um, was in some places shut down. Um, you know, we're doing about 7,000 vehicles a year at, at the moment. Um, that's been very strong. Um, back in my early days, we were doing two ships a month on average. Um, mm. you know, we're seeing up to five uh, car carriers uh, a month now. So that period in COVID where no one could buy a brand new four-wheel drive... That's um, sorting itself out. Slowly but surely, <laughs> um, absolutely. Uh, I think there's still a bit of a delay with some of the major brands, but um, it depends what you're after. In terms of all that building material that's coming in, so what are the big building projects that require it? Look, anything with a lot of, uh, lot of um, concrete, obviously things like um, the uh, uh, Berrima Road overpass, the the activity that's going on a lot of our defence bases, uh, Tyndall, Raft Darwin, Coonawarra, um, those things are driving up demand. Now, a commodity that is set to be exported out of Darwin in 2024 
is Cotton, Northern Territory Cotton. The Country Hour was at the official opening of the Cotton Gin just the other day. And when I asked David Connolly about where cotton would be exported from, I was a bit surprised in his answer because he mentioned that some of it will be going out of Adelaide. Let's just have a listen to that. Interestingly enough, some will go out of Adelaide. So the most amazing uh, freight figures, um, things like rail freight to Adelaide and then on a boat to the world works and also uh, on trucks to to Darwin to the world. So um, that's, that's mostly what will happen. There might be some cotton... Um, go southeast, head towards Brisbane as well. But look, most of it will go out of out of Darwin. But but there will will also be cotton from this gin go out of Adelaide. The, the logistics numbers are amazing. I guess the question for you, Peter Dummett, is why why isn't it all going to go out of Darwin? It's so close to Catherine. I did hear what David said, and and certainly the shipping uh, rates out of Adelaide are much cheaper than Darwin and that's you know, economies of scale. They move a lot more containers through there. Uh, there's a lot more services. Um, the demand is strong. Um, I've been in this game a long time up here and people continually tell me the shipping out of Adelaide is a lot cheaper than Darwin. Well, that is the case, but you've got to factor in the landside logistics costs uh, and, and the total supply, supply chain costs. And at the end of the day, it's, it's the numbers that will make those decisions. Uh, I met with um, one of the major partners in the uh, cotton gin last week. Um, his view was that the majority will be out of Darwin, but there will certainly be demand from some countries that will be driven um, out of uh, South Australia. So what is Darwin Port's plan for when the cotton arrives? What's that going to look like? Look, for us, uh, and, and once again the meeting last week gave us a bit of an indication of the numbers uh, for the next season and, and beyond that, um, it's containerised product. Um, as an export, we export at the moment an awful lot of 40-foot high cube uh, containers that are empty, so the containers are there. Um, we've got the capacity on the shipping services that run run out through the port. Um, uh, we've got the capacity to move somewhere around 90,000 containers or 20-foot containers a year through the port, and we're currently doing 20,000. So for us, um, it's about filling some of that existing capacity. So would cotton be going out with other products? Absolutely. It'll yeah. go out on your standard container ships. We've got uh, considering the size of our market, we've got four companies servicing the port uh, and they all provide services worldwide, either transshipping through Singapore or Hong Kong. Where is your expectation of where NT Cotton will go? Based on discussions last week, a, a good amount of that is going to go to Indonesia um, and we've got shipping services that run direct services into Indonesia from Darwin um, and five days steamy time. So um, it makes good sense that it comes out majority of it will come out through darwin so that's something new for the port in 2024 anything else on the horizon that you think our audience would be interested in peter look uh, anyone that sort of heads out this way um on a semi-regular basis will see that the crowley uh, fuel farm um is is uh, nearing end of completion for, of construction these uh, are the big white tanks we can see huge white tanks next to the uh, the vopac tanks um that's nearly twice the capacity of the vopac facility um the pipeline from the bulk liquids berth to those tanks is now completed they're uh, wrapping up um, construction of the facility uh, and they're talking about completion in April and from there we'll see a, a run of uh, tankers filling those tanks up. All the best for Christmas and thanks so much for your time on the country. Huh? Thanks Matt, always a pleasure to talk to you. Merry Christmas to you and all of your listeners. That's Peter Dummett, the Chief Executive of Darwin Port. A very busy December 
for the port and, as mentioned, iron ore from the old Francis Creek project near Pine Creek. It has arrived today here at the Country Hour. We have put a call into the company Linecrest and we're hopeful of having a representative on the show this week to learn more about Francis Creek iron ore getting back into action. It is 18 to 1 and you are tuned into the Country Hour. Breaking news today about Northern Australia's Indian sandalwood industry. The company Quintus, which has got operations in the Territory around Catherine and around the Douglas Daily, it has announced that it's giving all of its MIS projects the chop. I'll tell you all about it next. With the ABC Listen app, you can take the cricket with you anywhere you go. Off to the beach. Take the cricket. Road trip. Take the cricket. Museum visit. Shh, take the cricket. Seriously? You want to listen? <laughs> ABC Sports, expert coverage of every test. Big shout, he's out. One day up. Australia is celebrating. And T20. Over the rope for another six. Live and commercial free. So whatever you're up to this summer, take the cricket with you and listen big on the ABC Listen app. You are tuned into the Country Hour. Matt Brown with you this afternoon. A lot of Indian sandalwood trees in northern Australia look set to get the chop, with Quintus, the world's largest Indian sandalwood company, announcing that it will wind up all of its managed investment scheme projects. Now, this decision will affect around 4,000 hectares of its plantations, mostly in the Kimberley's Audio Irrigation Scheme, but also in the Northern Territory. And the decision follows an independent assessment which found the schemes were simply not financially viable and would have cost investors more than $30 million to complete. Richard Henfrey, he is the chief executive of Quintus. He spoke to Alice Marshall. Yes, so um, the responsible entity for the MIS schemes is a company called Sandalwood Properties Limited. Sandalwood Properties is a subsidiary of Quintus, but it operates independently with an independent board. Uh, and the important thing to note about, about the responsible entity is that its job is to look after the interests of the growers, which is why the independence of the board is, is, um, is important. So I'm a director of Sandalwood Properties, uh, and the, the rest of the board is two independent non-executive directors. And between the three of you, you have lodged an application with the Supreme Court of WA to wind up the TFS 2007 to 2016 Sandalwood projects. Can you just explain to me in in what context is wind up? What does that mean? Yeah, so the the, the issue with the schemes is that the there are just there's just too much supply, and the market hasn't been able to absorb the increases in supply that we've had over the last um, couple of years. Uh, and I, you, you and I, Alice, have talked before about the the decline in price in the in the MIS tenders uh, over over the last few years. Um, so we uh, have had some concerns about the viability of the MIS schemes. Uh, in a in an environment where the the future increase in supply is is very significant, so if you think back 15 years ago when these plantations were established, um, there were just far too many trees planted. So the board of the responsible entity has had concerns about the viability of the schemes, and as a result of those concerns, we appointed KPMG to effectively do a viability assessment, um, an independent assessment. 
to form an opinion on whether the schemes uh, should should be continued or, or, or shouldn't be. Uh, KPMG's uh, opinion that we received last week uh, was that the that the none of the schemes are viable and they should therefore all be all be wound up. Um, as I mentioned, the RE has to act in the interests of the investors. Um, and in fact, the interest of the investors are best served by the winding up because that means there'll be no further costs to bear. Uh, and in fact, in some of the schemes, there's some there's some funds in escrow for investors that will be returned. We return to investors that we, if we wind them up. So there's 2.5 million escrowed to investors from 2012 to the 2016 schemes. What about those investors in the 2007 to 2011 schemes? So there's no there's no funds held in escrow for those investors, but the wind up will mean that there's no further cost to pay. Uh, if we didn't wind the schemes up and they went through to harvest, there'd be very significant harvest costs, uh, sales and marketing costs, land remediation costs, um, and further lease and management costs uh, for the for the investors to pay. So even though there's no return of funds from those schemes. Uh, it's certainly um, KPMG's view and our view that those schemes are um, those investors are better off in the wind-up situation. And are we talking here about all of Quintus's MIS projects? So yes, effectively, um, uh, the, the the schemes that we're looking at, the 20, 2007 through to twenty sixteen, is all of the remaining MIS projects. Yes. And I'm reading a twenty eighteen ABC News article here about the recapitalization of Quintus. Mm. It's saying that Quintus will honour all of its agreements with managed investment scheme investors and by doing that, 200 employees will keep their jobs. Will there be significant job losses with this news? No, we don't expect so. Um, so there are uh, – we, we use third-party contractors for the majority of the operational activity in the Valley – um, so obviously we have some negotiations to be done with those guys. We still have a significant plantation estate that will need to be need to be managed. So we're not seeing any um, significant reduction in staff. Um, clearly the estate will be smaller. We'll be looking for opportunities to to um, to find efficiencies in our business. Um, but that number of two hundred employees, which is about the about the total number of employees of, of Quintus, uh, that's that's about where we are today, and, and I don't see that changing significantly. Here, where I'm sitting in the Ord Valley, Sandalwood has just been a key part of the Kununurra community for so long, supporting so many families in the process. What do you think the mood will be on the back of this announcement? Look, there's no doubt in my mind that this is a um, this is a disappointing uh, announcement. It's a disappointing day. Uh, I think Sandalwood has a role to play. We still, we're still optimistic that the market um, can be developed and that there's a you know, significant demand for the processed products that we, we sell around the world. So we believe that Sandalwood still has a role to play in the, you know, bro- broadly in the, in the north of Australia. And I expect there'll be Sandalwood in the valley for, for you know, a long time to come. I think what we're just seeing is the implications of of the extent to which um, the the size of the plantations just grew uh, out of all out of all proportion um, in in the early days of of planting. So I think we should look at this as a as a leveling um, a leveling event. The the, the sandalwood 
estate in Kananara and uh, and, and across across our estate anyway will be a bit smaller. Um, but I think there's a uh, sustainable and ongoing sort of core business in here that's actually reasonably reasonably attractive and still has some challenges to get through. But um, you know we're we're pretty committed to to going forward and developing that. Um, with the remainder of the estate, we expect to be a little bit more flexible, so we'll be able to match better supply and demand. And if uh, you know if if demand's weak and price is weak, we will have the option. You know, it'll cost us or our, or our investors, but we'll have the option to delay harvest on some of our some of our produce um, to to try and manage to try and manage that um, a little bit better than we can in the MIS structure. So I think um, what you will see is a maturing of the of the market um, and an ability for you know ourselves and and other other owners of sandalwood um, to make more commercial decisions about how much produce is harvested when and how it's taken to market. That is Richard Henfrey, who is the chief executive of Quintus. So as mentioned, around 4,000 hectares of Indian sandalwood trees, which were set up and funded through managed investment schemes, have been deemed unviable. And Quintus has decided to bring down the axe. Now, this will mostly affect the ore irrigation scheme in the Kimberley, and you'll hear from a grower in the Ord very soon. In the Northern Territory... I'm told this decision affects 120 hectares in the Douglas Daly region, which is only 3.5% of Quintus's total footprint in the Northern Territory. A lot of the NT plantations were set up after the Ord plantings and were not funded via that MIS model. Sam Patton is an agricultural valuer and consultant, and he has followed the MIS story for years. Sam, for our audience, can you simply explain managed investment schemes and how they work? Well, managed investment schemes, there's a responsible entity who takes the money from investors and then they're going to um, develop the whole scheme. And for all intents and purposes, the investor is totally passive. And the idea was that this will achieve an outcome which will, um, at its best, the way it was promoted, give a tax benefit. And also in these tree schemes where you've got a long lead time between growth and uh, planting and maturity, uh, it was a sort of, a, in inverted commas, uh, some superannuation for investors. So it was promoted as a, do, a twofold benefit to mums and dads investors and one of the things that also struck us about managed investment schemes when we first talked with insolvency practitioners was that there was nothing in writing about what happens if the scheme goes, you know, falls on hard times. For example, um, some companies were leasing land, freehold land, and there was never any uh, thing in writing in these MIS documents about if the responsible entity can no longer pay the rent, uh, what happens? That well, went well, to the High yeah, Court. Right. So just on that, Sam, I know of growers yeah. in the Ord Irrigation Scheme who have leased land to Quintus. That land yes. is now filled with Indian sandalwood trees, which we learn now really don't have a viable market. Wh- yeah. Where is that grower today? What do they do? Well, that's a very good question because... The the only issue where 
there was something, say, in a southern temperate property where there might be some value left, um, the landlord um, freehold owner went to court ultimately to find out, because they were just in a freeze, there was just this standoff, and they were told, well, yeah, it's your, it reverts back to you as the landlord because the responsible entity can't pay the rent, so they're in default. But in the worst case scenario, the landowner has to clean up the plantation as it stands, if it's not viable, at their own cost. And so so there, could be, there could be some lawyers heading towards Kununurra and the Northern Territory soon then? I would be backing that in, yes, yes. So we've seen Quintus now winding up all of its MIS projects. Back in the day, we saw the collapse of Timbercorp, Rewards, Great Southern, the list goes on. Are there any MISs left in this nation? I don't think so because I think Wilmont Forests were in the southern New South Wales area in softwoods, in, in pine. They went over too. As far as I know, there's very little active, uh, if any, MIS left because I think there was an amendment to the Tax Act. You mentioned mum and dad investors. For those yep. who bought into the dream of Indian sandalwood, what does today look like for them? Yes, well, it's interesting. There were lots of uh, high net worth people. Um, I wouldn't have any idea of the profile of the investors in these schemes, but I know, if I recall, uh, you might know better than me, but I recall at one stage someone with these schemes, they had Daniel Ricardo and <laughs> Adam, Adam Gilchrist. Gilchrist. Yes, you're right. Yeah, as, as the sort of ambassadors and... You know, as soon as I saw that, flags went up and I thought, What's, is there anything different about this sandalwood um, operation that distinguishes it positively from all the others? And I didn't know enough about it, but that point that's on that article that you sent me the link to is uh, the Quintus uh, operative was quoted, I think, as saying that anything that's, that's supply-driven like this is bound to run into problems because wasn't there a stat in there that the market price or spot price had fallen it's, 50%? It's fallen by 50%. And if they were to yeah. harvest what was set to be harvested yes. next year, they, they flood yes. a market that already can't handle it. Yes, yes. Yeah. And, and I think. And is that a similar story? I mean, we've got a company here that went and planted 12,000 hectares of trees to yes. eventually realise the market's not there for it. That's right. And I think the other thing that struck me was the absolute lack of federal government oversight to make sure... You know, you, the, the, the paradox here, Matt, would be, you know, if you've got a self-managed super fund, it gets audited. There's all sorts of inbuilt oversight to make sure that people don't do totally stupid things. But um, in the case of the staggering sums of money that were going into MIS schemes, there was never any um, federal government oversight to say we're going to have an audit process. So, for example, if Blogs Investments wants to put blue gums here or TFS want to put sandalwoods here, there's got to be a bit of due diligence scoping done by an independent government body because we are the ones granting the... Uh, tax breaks. And um, that was totally absent as far as I know. 
Sam Payton, thanks so much for your time this afternoon. Appreciate it. Okay. Thanks, Matt. Bye. Sam Payton is an agricultural valuer and consultant. If you're tuning in, this is the Country Hour, and one of our big stories this afternoon is that Quintus, the world's largest Indian sandwood company, has announced it's winding up all of its managed investment scheme projects. So this impacts around 4,000 hectares of plantations, mostly in the Ord Irrigation Scheme, but also a bit in the Northern Territory in that Douglas Daly region. In the second half of the Country Hour, you'll be hearing from a grower in the Ord. How is this news going down in the heartland of Indian sandalwood production? The Ord back in the day was all about the sugarcane industry. As it started to leave, all of a sudden the sandalwood trees arrived and now it looks like the sandalwood trees are on the way out and perhaps cotton is filling the gap. Lots to talk about. If you've got more questions about what's happening here with Quintus, send it through on our text line 0487 991057. I'll see you back here in five minutes for a chat with the Weather Bureau. I'm Emily Hoffman and I love chasing chunky skinks in the top end. And you are listening to the Country Hour. Matt Brown with you this afternoon. Our top story today is that a lot of Indian sandalwood trees in the north look set to get the chop, with Quintus announcing it will wind up all of its managed investment scheme projects. The issue with the schemes is that the, there are just, there's just too much supply and the market hasn't been able to absorb the increases in supply that we've had over the last um, couple of years. Um, so that the none of the schemes are viable, and they should therefore all be all be wound up. That is the chief executive of Quintus on the Country Hour a moment ago. So this decision, it impacts around 4,000 hectares of Indian sandalwood, most of that in WA. I've been told the decision affects 120 hectares in the Douglas Daly region of the Northern Territory. In a moment, you'll be hearing from one of the growers in the Ord Valley. On the text line 0487 99 Stuart at Eda Farms says, Matt, Quintus winding up its MIS projects, about 30% of its plantings. Surely this still leaves 70% of its plantations losing money and using vast quantities of water. On that note, says Stuart, some of these plantations use north of 12 megalitres per hectare. Perhaps the Environment Centre is barking up the wrong cotton tree, reckons Stuart on 0487 99157. Tim McCorp, Great Southern, Rewards. Now, Quintus's MIS projects, what a history, what a history. As I mentioned earlier, if you've got more questions about this story, send it through on that text line. Let's go to the Weather Bureau. Sally Cutter is there this afternoon. Sally, there's been a bit of rain the last 24 hours to 9 o'clock. What are the best ones? Uh, the best ones for the 24 hours to 9 o'clock was Lakefield with 37, Upper Catherine River with 34, and Central Plateau 33. 
the we've had a, a line go up. It actually started off down in the Barclay and it moved up through the Carpentera through that Rover Rover area and that's what Lakefield probably got a lot of their rain or some of their rainfall from and it went up through Kakadu and then sort of did a left turn and went off through the Terry Islands and just clipped the the line itself sort of just sort of sort of jumped over Darwin actually but just clipped Darwin but there's more activity yeah. going up just down to the south of, ta- of town. I see, yeah, Lakefield with 37 millimetres. I've seen a few pictures from Gary there at Lakefield saying that some of the lightning last night was uh, really full on, um, some of the uh, biggest he'd seen. Yeah, we, we can see. They, these were big storms that were, we actually had a severe weather, the severe thunderstorm warning out for yesterday afternoon. And as they sort of been, they weakened out, but they, as they came up, there was a lot of lightning. We, we've got a, we've got access to some lightning data, and it's not necessarily the numbers, but just the frequency. And you go, wow, they, they were, they were big, lot of lightning on there. There's, it's weakened off now, but yes, yeah, certainly there was some good lightning last night. Yeah, just looking at the weather bureau, that that um, system that delivered all that rain, it's sort of north of the Tiwi Islands now. Um, how is yep. the uh, afternoon, evening shaping up for rainfall in the Territory? Well, having had that go through, there is a bit of cloud out there. So it's but whether we can actually get through enough heat onto the ground to start that real convection going. The southern, just south of Darwin, Daly District, Northern Daly District is probably going to be the to the most likely area for things to bubble away. But the if you're looking at the satellite picture, now the Cirrus has cleared off. There's actually a bit of a, a clear streak up through the western parts of the Arnhem District, just where that line has gone up overnight. So it's going to take a while for that to get going again. But down to the Carpentaria District, we could see, particularly the eastern Carpentaria District, we could see some showers and storms later this afternoon. It's taken the sting out of the air a little bit. And I'm just going back to the Christmas Day forecast, which you and I spoke about yesterday, Sally. And what I see is potentially just a little bit of good news. Yesterday, you and I were talking about Timber Creek expecting a top of 46 degrees on Christmas Day. That's now changed to 43. Still hot, but if it keeps falling, that'll be lovely. Yeah. Yeah, you do get a little bubbling, bobbing around a bit, and it's probably just going to depend on how much cloud there is. But hopefully, because at those temperatures, you really do need a breeze. So hopefully, there'll be a nice, just a little bit of a breeze, not too much. But so you've got to keep on to weighing down the serviettes and things. But the, just just, an, just enough of a breeze to get that air moving and and just to drop the apparent temperature a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how is the rest of this week faring temperature-wise? Uh, still very hot. Yeah. The, yes, the Simpson and, and Leicester probably just hot. <laughs> the, the, but it is going to be warming up through that area. So by the time we get to Saturday, we're basically very hot south of that Pine Creek. It's right across. So that's over 40 degrees. So it's just going to be very hot. If you can get some storms to cool you down, you're probably lucky. They're a bit more frequent up over the the northern northwestern top end, but we're going to see so the the chances easing off a little bit tomorrow. And any storms that do form could be gusty. We could see some score lines of Friday, Saturday, yep. over the top end. So it's the, the the chance might go down, but if you do get one, it could be gusty. Okay. A text here from Roger who says, Matt, could you please ask the Weather Bureau to defend or explain 
the Bureau's forecasting of rain associated with Cyclone Jasper. We always have very heavy rainfall on the top end with cyclones, says Roger. Yeah, the we so quite often when these lows come on shore, you do to get to two hundred millimeters out of them in any one location. I think Dumb and Mary got over five hundred millimeters out of one, which is unusual for the top end. What happens over the on the east coast is they've got these things called hills. And just when the wind hits it, they it gets lifted up. So what we we call that an orographic enhancement. So the winds are hitting the the hills, they, they lifted up more air, more water condensed out and it forces rain. And we were actually saying sort of several days out that we were expecting flooding, heaps of major flooding and life-threatening flash flooding due to the the cyclone. Yep. And a lot of rain did come. Yep. Thanks for your time this afternoon, Sally. Appreciate it. That's okay. Sally Cutter there at the Weather Bureau. It is 12 past one and you are tuned into the Country Hour. And we've been talking about Indian sandalwood trees this afternoon. It looks like a lot of them are destined to be bulldozed after Quintus announced that it will be winding up all of its managed investment scheme projects. The issue with the schemes is that the, there are just, there's just too much supply and the market hasn't been able to absorb the increases in supply that we've had over the last um, couple of years. Um, so that the none of the schemes are viable, and they should therefore all be all be wound up. Yep, too much supply. It's not viable. Four thousand hectares of Quintus's operations, which is about thirty percent of what they've got in the north, set for the axe. It would seem on the text line, Alan Humpty Doo says, Matt, these huge MIS companies are all about making the people who started the company incredibly rich. Then they walk away laughing, says Al on zero four eight seven double nine one oh five seven. As mentioned, four thousand hectares caught up in this announcement by Quintus. Most of that is in the Kimberley's Ord irrigation scheme. David Menzel, he's a grower in the Ord. He's also the Shire president of Windham East Kimberley. He spoke to Belinda Varaschetti just a short time ago. Yeah, I guess at a local level we we were quite concerned about the way they were travelling and and uh, I guess the sooner these decisions are made, the better chance of investors and, and landowners getting any monies that are owing. So, yeah, I think the timing is probably good with the cotton industry just around the corner and obviously, yeah, the sooner it's sorted out, the better. What are the implications for farmers and landholders in the region then, David, what, how are they connected to Quintus and its projects? Yeah, so Quintus have been both a landholder and a, a, a major leasee of, of land in the Ord Valley in particular. So many farmers over, you know, since the sugar industry really have benefited from leasing to the Sandalwood companies and that's given a, a steady income. We're just in the beginning of um, a new era with cotton coming in so the trees have filled in a gap in the meantime and um, I think we'll be we'll be quite grateful to have that land back and available for a cotton industry. We're hearing some concerns from uh, the community in the Ord that there haven't been payments made for the leases. Are you also hearing that, that the last payment that was due, I think, in September for some farmers, that hasn't been paid? 
yes, certainly I'm hearing the same stories and that's a concern, I think. Uh, certainly I know some of the suppliers have been paid, but maybe some of the landowners haven't. That's what I'm hearing. So again, the sooner the, the administrator gets in there and tidies things up, the better chance everyone's got of coming out with something and hopefully coming out with everything they owed. The other concern that I'm hearing uh, today too is that there are some farmers who have trees on their property and are now concerned about, you know, what happens to those trees, you know, if they're not going to be harvested and then the rehabilitation of those areas to be able to grow, as you said, David, other things like cotton, for example. Yeah, that's a major concern because there's a you know, a, a a farm full of trees like you've seen in the south with blue gums or any other timber trees, it's a heck of a liability on the land. Uh, getting rid of that, you know, many thousands of dollars a hectare of work to, to try and get those trees out and get that land ready again for intensive farming. So there's a fair way to go then with this. The announcement just late yesterday afternoon from Quintus about winding up all of its managed investment scheme projects and then sort of the the flow-on effect of that for the farmers in the community? Uh, it's not exactly the Christmas present everyone was looking for, but I guess, as I said before, the sooner it's, the sooner it's sorted out, it, it was looking a little bit inevitable anyway, uh, the sooner it's sorted out, the better chance everyone's got of, of coming out of this um, with, you know, some sort of... Um, well, with the least financial pain, I guess. But yeah, it's it's not looking particularly attractive at the moment, given there's thousands of hectares of trees here, and that's that's a lot of work. Just having the capacity to clear that land and get it back into production is that's going to take two or three years, I would imagine, even if they made a full-on attempt at it. And how many farmers, landholders affected? Do you think, David? I mean, do you have a, any idea about that? Oh, look, there's not that many of us up here, um, but the, the, there must be six to 12. It's that sort of number, but it's a significant portion of the land. You know, stage one of the odds, we say it's 15,000 hectares. So, you know, if it's three or so thousand hectares in the odd, that's a significant chunk of this land that's um, going to be impacted and need sorting out. And with a decision like this to wind up those managed investment scheme projects with the Sanderwood, do you think there's much of a future for the industry in the Ord following a decision like this? I, I probably don't, to be honest. I think the land's too valuable. Uh, there's probably some other lands that are less valuable, haven't got that high infrastructure cost attached to them. You know, we've got a fully fully developed irrigation system here and lots of overheads. So I think they'll find there might be, you know, some of those territory operations might be a, a better opportunity to make a return. I think um, people I talk to in the industry who've been there for a long time, there's certainly um, the product grows well and, and there is a market there, but I think going from a very little supply to a, a large supply of sandalwood oil probably has been a bit of a shock to the market and haven't come to terms with that either. So returns are possibly not what was being anticipated. And this could be then the, the final nail in the coffin for sandalwood in the Ord. Is that what you're saying? Well, let's see how they go. They might have a different, I think so much of it's about the financial structures and, and not the agronomic 
um, practices. So there may be some better financial structures there that allow um, for the production of some sandalwood, but I'm, I'm certainly expecting that the demand from the the um, landowners will be for them to get their land back and, and get into the cotton industry and, and the corn corn industry. Uh, I think that will probably outprice the sandalwood and but it's got to be acknowledged timber and these you know decades long industries it's just enormously difficult to finance these things and I'm not sure that anyone's got the perfect model for doing that um, certainly a, an annual crop is a lot easier to manage the financials on. That is David Menzel, who is a grower in the Audio Irrigation Scheme. He's also the Shire President. And what a question. Does Indian sandalwood have a future in the north? Interesting question. Here in the Northern Territory, there's about 3,500 hectares of plantations that are in the Douglas Daly and in the Catherine region. As mentioned, this decision to wind up all of the MIS projects, uh, that affects just 120 hectares here in the Northern Territory. It's certainly a bigger story over there in the audio irrigation scheme. Does Indian sandalwood have a future? You can join the conversation this afternoon. Our text is 0487 Now, up next, I'm going to tell you about a wonderful project that's creating employment opportunities, and also getting more fresh produce into some of our remote communities. That story's next. 23 past one, you are tuned into the Country Hour on ABC Radio. Now, the Catherine Research Station has teamed up with an organisation called Narungalung Rise to get more fresh produce into remote communities and also provide opportunities to gain skills and maybe even employment in the horticultural sector. Ian Kahoot has the story. Narungalung Rise is an employment and training organisation and one of its big projects at the moment is all about healthy food. At the Catherine Research Station today, a team from Beswick is working in the garden under the hot sun and their supervisor is Peter Beasley. We grow grow vegetable seedlings um, in the controlled shade house and then when they're big enough, we take them out to communities and offer them to community members to plant in their own yards or plots so they can have it go to to get some fresh produce, whether it's herbs or um, tomatoes or chilies, whatever. Just gives them that little bit of an option to have something to look after in the yards. What does a project involve? Like, what do the community that help out do? Well, the community itself just... Um, accepts what we give them to put in their gardens but the job seekers that are on work for the Dole um, CDP program they put in a lot of effort and they will work with us to propagate the seedlings um, in here take them out to their own work sites where they've got shade houses to bring them up to a bigger size so they're more durable for the conditions in when they get to a, a site outside there um, and we also um, did the big mango pick this year, which we included in this project, to pick as many mangoes as we could from the Catherine Research Centre station. And then we distributed all those mangoes out to communities for community people to enjoy. Um, we gave them to everyone we could see in the communities. We took them to schools, creches, aged care, um, anywhere that does a good job in the community. We made sure they had plenty of mangoes to offer their 
students or clients or whatever. And I think all that, we would have probably picked over seven tonne this year and all that was distributed to, out into communities. Why do you think it's important for communities to learn about how to do things like that to help the, the garden? I think it's important for our job seekers that they can learn what's involved in a fruit picking process um, and hopefully one day they may move into that industry for work. Also they can just see how things are grown and what's involved, like it's not just uh, things don't happen, all the work leading up to it during the year, the fertilising, the care and everything else that goes into that production of that fruit. What uh, communities are we specifically talking about? Uh, the main ones we we deal with is Bullman, Manialaluk, Beswick, Barunga and Binjari. Um, we also did deliver fruit this year to other communities close to Catherine purely because we had so much fruit and we thought we may as well keep going and distribute it spread wide and far so everyone had a go. Jenny and Sam Bush are from the Beswick community and are working part-time for Narungalung Rise. Jenny says it's great to see young people getting involved in gardening. Um, they're learning different things and from school and what they do with community program they learn other things from the school but then when they step out they learn something different with gardening and all sorts of different stuff and learning them and teaching them in the community it's very important for these young ones and older ones and in in case you know they might be the next person to take over the job and whatever they do in the community like there's a lot of things for young ones to get involved um do, do you think the people involved in those programs, do they like the work? Yeah. Do they say they like the work? Yeah. yeah. The kids in Branga, see, we, we planted 40 trees the last three months ago. And the joy in the face and the, um, the happiness you can see, they, you know, they did that. When the tree grow up and be a big one, see, they can say to their kids, I've done that. And it's like circle. When, um, for example, when you guys uh, distributed the fresh mangoes to the communities, uh, what what was that feeling like for for people? Oh, they were so um, surprised, and they just was impressed inside that they they the kids in the community had free mangoes instead of buying them from the shop. Like it's like four five dollars a kilo, like in the store. And what Narangang Rice did, they came into Catherine pick up the mango, took it back into each community and they, everyone just enjoyed it. The whole community just enjoyed it and the kids. That is Jenny and Sam Bush from Beswick speaking to Jan Kahoot, the Catherine Research Station and the Lungarung Rise teaming up for some great outcomes there in the top end. That wraps up today's Country Hour. There's no Roma or Dublin cattle market reports this week because... Well, it's Christmas on Monday, so those yards are having their Christmas break and they'll be back in the new year. It's been a busy program today. If you missed our chat with the boss of the Darwin Port or maybe our coverage about Indian sandalwood trees getting the axe, that'll be on our podcast this afternoon. You can find it wherever you get your favourite podcast. Just type in NT Country Hour and keep it rural. Keep it rural.